Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Our guest today is Benita Cooper. Benita is the principal architect and owner of Benita Cooper Design, based out of Haddonfield, New Jersey. She holds a master's in architecture from Harvard University, and her work has been recognized by national awards from the American Institute of Architects, American Architectural Foundation, and House. She has been featured in Harvard Design Magazine, Architectural Record, and many other publications. Last year, Philadelphia Business Journal awarded Benita the prestigious title of Minority Business Leader, and she was also recognized by both the Pennsylvania and New Jersey Senates for her work. Benita is also the founder of the nonprofit The Best Day of My Life So Far, which recently celebrated its 10-year anniversary. Benita, it's such an honor to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to get to hang out. Yeah, me too. So I should say that we actually know each other. We met several years ago now at a Philadelphia entrepreneur group, right? Like the moms group. Yep. And then we bumped into each other, I think randomly a few times and connected then on Facebook. We kind of stayed in touch loosely. And then you joined the Hazard Girls Facebook group and we're so supportive of that mission. And we ended up collaborating on a few projects. And one of them was just this past September, we did a panel discussion, which you moderated for young women and girls interested in non-traditional fields. And that was called the Hazard Girls STEM Career Chat. Mm -hmm. So we have a little history. I know. And I love the way you kind of like traced it so nicely. And (laughs) I think that's like such a good memory of little moments that um, made us stronger friends and collaborators. Yes. And we've done a few other things too, like our photo shoot. But I'm so excited to just like dive in a little deeper with you today because I want to learn a little bit more about you. I realize I don't know a ton about your history and your background. I read that you grew up in Hong Kong. Yeah, so I was born in Seattle and then I grew up as a baby in Hong Kong. My mom had me in the States where she was finishing her school and Hong Kong is where both my parents were born and raised. I was in Hong Kong till I was 12 and then my extended family moved back to Seattle and I then grew up there and spent my teenage years there. Oh, I see you're from Seattle. I didn't realize that. I claim many cities as my hometowns. (laughs) So it goes Hong Kong and then Seattle. And then I loved living in Boston and then Philadelphia. And now I'm in the small town of Haddonfield. And I also did a lot of study abroad throughout college Uh and grad school. So I've adopted a lot of homes along the way. Oh, that's so cool. Now, I heard a rumor. Is it true that you actually skipped high school? Yeah, it's really funny to think back about these little things that I think end up maybe shaping my personality more than I realized at the time. So at 12 years old, that was when I, you know, moved 
to another country altogether mm-hmm. and absorbed and kind of enjoyed the shock of all of that. And mm-hmm. then at 14, I think I took a bunch of tests, scored pretty high uh-huh. and was picked as one of, I don't know if it was 15 or 16 kids to start college early at University of Washington. It's a tiny program they had and still have. And after one year of prep, basically at 15, I entered college without even applying because it's a transitional program to get you basically seamlessly into college. Yeah. So I started college at 15. (laughs) Wow. So what was that like as a teenager to be in college? It's funny because with more perspective, I can look back and like find new meanings in that like moment. I think it's very much tied in with the fact that I jumped from one culture to another at age 12. And then mm-hmm. at 15, I again jumped out of some sort of norm, you know, American mm-hmm. cultural norm to do something kind of alternative, I guess. Yeah. So I think those events grew in me or planted a seed in me, or maybe exposed an adventurous and curious side of me. Mm -hmm. I think I learned that it's important to think out of the box and to kind of find new ways to doing things and maybe not be stuck thinking that things have to be the way they are just because that's how it's always been. I wouldn't have been able to tell you all this at that age, but thinking back, I think those events started getting me to think that way. Wow. So is that, would you do that again? I think so. Actually, for sure, I would do it again. I think I thrive under pressure. Mm -hmm. I love being thrown in kind of almost uncertain and confusing circumstances, which really (laughs) describes the the time we're living in right now. But I like that because it kind of keeps me on my toes. And then I start to, I don't know, challenge myself to raise the bar at Mm -hmm. whatever it is that I'm doing or like the way I'm living. So it had its challenges, but yeah, I would definitely do it again. Interesting. So you graduated in what, four years? So I did two majors. I did interdisciplinary visual arts and architecture. So I think I finished architecture out in the normal four years and Mm -hmm. then did, you know, a few more months for art. Okay. Amazing. So art and architecture. And then you went on to Harvard to get your master's in architecture? Yeah. So after getting my architecture degree, I think it was in 1999, and then my art degree in 2000, I was actually offered a job at my final presentation, the architectural Uh presentation of my coursework. I was offered a job by one of the professional critics that were at the presentation. Mm -hmm. So then I began working right away. I think as Mm -hmm. I was finishing art school, I began my architecture job. And then I worked for a couple of years and then started grad school for architecture at Harvard. And it was actually really memorable also because the first day of orientation was 9-11. Oh my gosh. So yeah, that was also very, like very weird to be like going to another city and like waiting to, with so much anticipation and Mm -hmm. joy and then like being faced with that kind of like reality of the world on your first day, you know? Yeah. 
Oh, that's crazy. And do you feel like that shaped your experience there? I mean, not necessarily like that moment, but it's almost like the mood of the times. Yeah. I feel like for a few years after that, emotions and like society was just like complicated, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I feel like in all of my work, in, in my professional architectural design work, and also in my nonprofit, all these little events that I've experienced that are not only, you know, things you read in the headlines, but things that have like personal kind of like memory smart for me. Yeah. All these things give me kind of like a deeper understanding of humanity and like the layers of it. Mm -hmm. And I think things that are complicated or complex just like attracts my thought process. Yeah. Like I just, I then consider it. And I don't know, I think a lot. I think a lot about I don't know, just the different layers of human emotions, just yeah. the moving parts of the world, things like that. Do you think it affects your architecture work? Yeah, I think so. And I think it's also, yet again, maybe just like how I described my Hong Kong and early college entrance experiences, just like how I described those as things that happened to me that maybe really things that were always in me. Mm -hmm. I think that having this like interest in like humanity beyond the surface comes through in my architecture work. So my final thesis at Harvard, I actually did it at an actual site in Santiago, Chile, which was one of the different places I studied abroad in, in college and grad school. I did this like giant promenade around this hill that's like a giant hill in the middle of the city. And it connects four different social economic communities in this seemingly united city. Yeah. So it both confronts and acknowledges that diversity and complications in that city, but at the same time tries to do something about it. Yeah. And I think the inclination to do something about the stuff I see is what makes me passionate about architecture. Well, your work is gorgeous. You've won many awards. And I want all of our listeners to go check out some of your work on your website, which is BenitaCooperDesign.com, right? Yep. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about being a woman in the architecture field, both through school and through practice. So I understand that according to the National Council of Architectural Research, in the whole of the architectural field, only 17% of women can be found in leadership roles. And of course, you own your own firm and you have found yourself in a leadership role. So, you know, can you talk a little bit about what your challenges have been as a woman in the field, even before you took leadership positions and both before and after you took leadership positions? Yeah, I think some of the things that we mentioned earlier in this interview gave me a mindset of, you know, doing your best under any circumstances and being mm -hmm. curious and adventurous and following your heart and yeah. diving deeper. And I think this just kind of like unstoppable drive is what carries me through my career day by day. And so I don't think... I'm the kind of person that gets distracted by, let's say, comments or behaviors of people around me mm -hmm. or even statistics that are true. 
that reflect the limited or decreased opportunities for women, as well as minorities, because I'm both. But I think I just I'm aware of those things, but I don't let them get to me. And it's not something that I even try very hard to do. It's just like, I have so much drive to do my best that I can't let that kind of thing slow me down. Mm -hmm. So I can also say this more clearly now than I could when I was in my 20s. I'm turning 40 this year. And I feel like in my 30s, I have found just kind of a clarity and confidence in myself and my abilities. And if I know that if I do things from my heart, it speaks for itself. And really, people can then find out that, oh, it's a woman and a minority. And that's just kind of like a by the way, like the work comes first, you know? Right. One of the projects that you and I collaborated on within the Hazard Girls community is we had people submit photos. And this, I think this was your idea, actually. We had people submit photos of themselves at work. And then we like kind of put it into a collage. And the, the purpose was to inspire other women and younger women to see all the different opportunities that are actually out there. And I remember one of the photos you submitted was a picture of, I think it was you in just a room full of men and you were leading in the room. I think you were speaking. I mean, how did you deal with challenges like that? Is that something that you really didn't feel the need to address in any way? Or did you actually have challenges in that regard? Yeah, so I do know what picture you're talking about. And it was a really cool um, (laughs) project. It's what happens when you and I put our heads together. (laughs) Projects that just like grow and grow. So that picture, I think when I see that picture, I feel very comfortable. Like I don't feel like, oh my gosh, that's cool. I am like, I don't think of it as such a big deal because it's my job. But at the same time, I acknowledge the truth that there is sexism, racism, and just stats that say that, you know, those things are actually true, not just some kind of emotional thing. But when I look at that picture, I'm like, that's so cool. Like, I love my work. I love the people I do it with. And oh, look, they're like all men. Yeah. Some younger than me, some older than me. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of them happen to be Caucasian. Yeah. Um, you know, the standard kind of architect and engineer stereotype still holds true. But it's like I accept that I'm, first of all, let me just say I'm extremely lucky. You can work as hard as you want and like never get to lead in this environment because it is hard. So I accept and I'm grateful every day for this thing that I considered a very much luck. So it's like acknowledge it, but kind of like, I don't know if I call it go with the flow, but (laughs) I feel like I'm doing exactly what I should be doing. Yeah. And I'm lucky to have people who support me. And I will also say in my 20s, I would, when I said that I wouldn't let negative comments or behaviors around me bother me in my 20s, I would let it bother me Mm -hmm. a little more than I do now. Now, not at all. And so now I can smell that from like miles away. (laughs) If somebody's not going to respect me. Yeah. There's really no way for us to work effectively. It's going to come out in some way. So now I choose my collaborators very carefully. And yeah, I think I make my 
I'm a very kind of straightforward and candid person. So I think I also come across that way. Like these things are important to me enough that if somebody has a problem with that, they wouldn't come to me. Like, I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I think it's something it's, I guess it's a little bit of a privilege, if you want to call it that, that comes with as you with age and experience, like as you've been working longer, you can actually do that. I know for me, it was similar as I advanced in my career early on, you know, even in school, it's a lot different. You can't always choose who you work with. So it's... And I feel like I'm in a position now where if somebody is disrespectful, and that's not just to me, that's to people around me, I will speak up immediately and I'll resolve the situation. And sometimes it simply means removing that person from the environment of, you know, the project because it's just not healthy. You've had to do that? Yeah. And I always, I don't do it in a mean way. I do it in a very respectful way back to Mm -hmm. them, you know? And I have so many people who support me, clients and other collaborators. So I always do things with their advice and with ethics. Mm -hmm. That's a big thing. I always think about ethics. So yeah, I'm very nice, but I'm very, very firm. Well, speaking of your clients, it was a client who nominated you and later you won the Minority Business Leader Award. Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah. So eternally grateful for both the nomination, which is big enough in itself, and the award. Yeah, what a great honor. And you've been honored by the Pennsylvania and the New Jersey Senates. The New Jersey Senate called you, uh, forgive me for quoting this because I know you don't like to brag, (laughs) but not many people have been honored by two state Senates. So they called you a, a woman of strong character and fortitude. And they said, you had a meritorious record of excellence within all the spheres of your life and work. So would you tell us a little bit about what those recognitions were and how they came about and what they mean to you? I mean, it's pretty crazy, honestly, to receive one and (laughs) then two, you know? (laughs) Both were complete surprises. I didn't even know people get this kind of thing, you know? (laughs) And so it's such a high honor well beyond like any kind of professional level like it almost raises the bar for me even higher for myself you know I don't ever want to be any less than that if that's what I'm supposed to be yeah I was totally shocked when I was handed the award did someone nominate you for that I honestly have no idea how these things work (laughs) (laughs) I was given the New Jersey Senate award in a big folder at the actually minority business leader award ceremony, but it was so dark. And I also was handed a plaque for what I was there for that that actual leadership award. So it was all this stack of stuff, you know, and all of a sudden I'm like, what is thing with all these (laughs) signatures? Yeah. We've gotten the awards, I mean, very, very well-deserved because of your architectural work, but as they said, also because of your character, and I assume because of your philanthropic work, I wanted to take a moment to talk about your nonprofit organization, The Best Day of My Life So Far. 
What is that organization all about? How did you come up with the name? And can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. So the best day of my life so far is a nonprofit organization that I founded inspired by my grandma. When I was 25 going on 26, I was, you know, in Philadelphia, newly married, and I had just graduated, I think. I've been one year out of school in Mm -hmm. Harvard, so working, working, working long hours. And one day I just felt homesick thinking about her in Seattle, whom I used to live only one house away. Mm -hmm. But I realized I never, ever really had a conversation with her, but I didn't really know what to say. So then I just called her thinking that I'd say hi and, you know, We'd run out of things to say in three minutes. Mm -hmm. But instead, she started telling me a devastating story from her childhood. But in the way she told it, it wasn't devastating at all because she was telling it with courage and focusing on the positive things that she learned. And it made me realize through these stories, I was getting to know her for the first time as a person. Mm -hmm. And I was getting to know her voice, which transcends any story, but is about, you know, her perspective of the world. And I realized her perspective of the world was because she passed away a few years ago, her perspective of the world was so relentlessly positive, Mm -hmm. that I realized it's a strength I wanted to gain and learn from. So at the end of the call, I asked if I could call her back to hear more stories. And Her laugh was so big Mm -hmm. and genuine that I thought to myself, if there was a name for this sound, it would be the best day of my life so far. So a few years after that, I finally decided to do something about this experience and share it because I knew it was too beautiful not to be shared. And by experience, I didn't just mean the first phone call. I mean, our growing friendship and Mm -hmm. also continuous conversations. We quickly became best friends over the phone, over Mm -hmm. the stories that she told me. I was not only listening to the stories, I was also writing them down after to try to just reflect on them myself. And I felt like that experience of listening and reflection would be so helpful for everybody because that was also the time when the country was going into recession Mm -hmm. and everybody looked so depressed on the sidewalk. And that was when I was living just a few blocks away from Philadelphia Senior Center. So with nothing but just pen and paper, I asked to borrow a desk for or a table for an hour a week. And I said, I wanted to try doing a storytelling group with the seniors in the Philadelphia community. And I want to do a blog. So if they have family members in town, or even out of town, maybe those family members can, you know, read, even if it's just one story, read a story, and get to know their parents, their aging parents, or Mm -hmm. aging grandparents, or great grands a little deeper. So that's how we started. Do you want me to keep talking about? Oh, no. Well, I wanted to ask you, I mean, that is so beautiful. Well, I wanted you to tell people how they can get involved with it. And, you know, I'm also, I know you're an expert in this and I wanted to make sure I asked you if there are things we can do to be helping older adults with loneliness and isolation right now, especially during COVID. Yeah. So thank you for asking that. 
because that's the whole point of why I do any of this. Our mission, the best day of my life, so first mission is to reduce older adult isolation and promote intergenerational engagement Mm -hmm. through storytelling. Stories are our medium, but what we're trying to do is to bring people together across generations so that people don't feel isolated anymore. We have really fun and easy tools on our website, including tabs where you can click to share a story. And when you click that, it guides you through listening tips. And it basically gives you almost like a journal entry feeling form where you can write down the story that an older adult has told you and then also your reflections and then submit the form to us so that we can share it on social media. And even these seemingly like minor or easy action steps are helping not only the older adult, but also you. Because by having us as your excuse to call an older person, like, (laughs) oh, I'm doing this thing for the best day of my life so far. Can I listen to a story? Like, it becomes an easy icebreaker for you to use. And by not only listening, but writing down, typing down the story, you're really listening to something word for word. And then by having to then stop and reflect on how it has affected you, even if it's a little or impacted you a lot, that's you applying what you've heard to your own life. And then by submitting it to us and also asking for the older adults permission to submit it to us, you guys are releasing this past memory that the story carries, but also this new memory of you guys connecting to us, like the world. And that act of giving it to the world is empowering for not just the older adult, but yourself. I love that. That's amazing. So that's something that I feel like is always good to do. You can do it as much as possible, but good, especially now. And if you are somebody who's involved in a community venue or a venue that works with older adults or a venue that works with younger people at different age groups, I would love for you to check out our actual programs because that's how we can deliver true community and social impact. We have, of course, our storytelling groups. That's how we began. That is our core offering. We also have, and storytelling groups are where old and young sit around the table. And we are able to do that virtually now. We're testing different ways of doing that. We also have story pop-up events. And so storytelling groups happen on a weekly basis. Story pop-up events happen in a big way on one day or Mm -hmm. one weekend, something like that. And it really kind of brings a larger scale of people together, old and young, and it's super fun. And we also have one more program, which is called Story Cure. And that is our trademark training curriculum, which we package in different ways, depending on what we feel like society needs at that time. Mm -hmm. And here's a little teaser. We're working on a special package as we speak, which I don't know if we'll be ready to release it when this interview airs, but it definitely is specifically focused on the isolation that all of us are facing now. And it puts the power in young people's hands to begin to solve it. 
if our listeners want to get involved with the best day of my life so far, they should go to your website. What's the website? It's bestdayofmylifesofar.org. Dot org. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is it the best day or just best day? Best day. Just best day of my life so far dot org. And obviously so far is important. Don't forget to type it. And it also is a reminder to all of us that, you know, every day is a chance to create a better day than yesterday. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much for being here with us. This has been amazing. So eye opening. If any of our listeners want to connect with you, is there any particular way you prefer that? Well, first of all, thank you so much for uh, spending this time with me and letting me talk about things that are so important to me. If you'd like to contact me about my architecture and design work, you can contact me directly at Benita at BenitaCooperDesign.com. If you want to talk to me about um, my nonprofit work, you can contact me directly also at Benita at BestDayOfMyLifeSoFar.org. Thank you so much, Benita. Thank you. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.